0: I think this might be the most important Parsha podcast yet. I know I've said that before, but this one I really think is the most important one that we've ever done. And you listen to it, and you let me know if that's true. My email address is rabbeewolby at gmail.com. This week we read, of course, about Yisro, about Jethro, and I kind of feel like I have an obsession with him because I look back and last year we spoke about Jethro twice on the Parsha podcast. I feel like I just can't resist. I have to talk about him again. He seems to be like a marginal figure in the Torah. But the Torah gives him a lot of attention. And invariably, that means that there's a lot to learn from him. But you read a story, it's not immediately clear what's so special about Jethro and why his story is so important and why it has to come right before the most significant event, not just the most important event in the Parsha, not just the most important event in the whole Torah, the most significant event in all of human history, the revelation at Sinai happens to this Parsha. But first, we have to spend a lot of time talking about Jethro, and it's not exactly clear what is so special about him, and that's why we're so obsessed with Jethro. Now, in previous years, we spoke about how Jethro was preternaturally impressionable. Jethro heard. Everyone heard the same message, but Jethro, all the way in Midian, he heard it and he acted upon it. That's what we spoke about last year in Parsh's Yisro. In addition, in Parsh's Bahalosha we spoke about how Jethro had a tremendous impact upon our people. He was called the eyes of the nation because he was someone who served as a guiding light for the people. Today, I want to approach the subject of Jethro from a different angle. Jethro is unique. Unlike everyone else, he comes to join the Jewish people. And he converts. And the parsha starts off, Yisro." Yisro heard something that prompted him to take action to come join the Jewish people. And the Talmud of the book of Zvachim, page 116a, asks the question, what did Jethro hear? What did he hear that made him make this move and come join the Jewish people and convert? And the Talmud offers three different answers. The first opinion, Rabbi Yeshua says he heard the war of Amalek. Jewish people have a war with their nemesis, Amalek. Moshe goes the top of the mountain, puts his hands up in the ear. Joshua on the bottom wipes the floor with the nation of Amalek. And when Jethro hears that, he says, I got to come join the Jewish people. That's the first opinion. The second opinion is that he heard the revelation at Sinai. And like we mentioned in the past, even though Jethro's story appears before the Sinai revelation, there is an opinion of the Talmud that states that it actually happened afterwards. So Jethro hears about revelation at Sinai and he's like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I got to come join the Jewish people. And the Talmud actually gives us some of the interesting backstory. It says when the Almighty gave the Torah to the Jewish people, there was a booming, reverberating voice that went from one end of the world to the other. And all the kings of the world were terrified, and they ran to Bilaam. Of course, he's a figure we'll meet later on in the book of Numbers. And they said to him, what's going on? What's this noise? Maybe there's another flood happening. And Bilaam calmed and says, no, 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 the Almighty promised he's not going to bring another flood. But they persisted. Well, maybe it's not a flood of water. Maybe it's a flood of fire this time. And that's all this crazy noise. So again, Bilam says to them, no, no, don't worry. The Almighty not going to destroy us with fire. Well, so what is this noise? So Bilam tells them this noise is to symbolize that the Almighty has this beloved, cherished treasure in his storage houses, the Torah. It's been in the Almighty's possession for 974 generations before the world was created, and now he's given it to his children, to the Jewish people. And when Jethro got wind of that, the Almighty gave the Torah to Jewish people, he said, I'm coming to join. And the third opinion, what did Jethro hear that made him come join the Jewish people? He heard about the splitting of the sea, and that was what made him come join the Jewish people. So three opinions in the Talmud, what did Jethro hear? Vayishma Yisro, Yisro heard something. What did he hear that prompted to join the Jewish people? Either the splitting of the sea, the war with the Malik, or the Sinai revelation. Now, what is so special about these miracles in particular? Weren't there other miracles that happened to the Jewish people? In Egypt, there were the Ten Plagues, each one of them were miraculous. The death of the firstborn, they're eating manna. There are a great many things that are happening to the Jewish people that would seem to be miraculous, would seem to be supernatural, and maybe would prompt Jethro to come join. But the Talmud says, no, it's these three things, splitting the sea, war with Amalek, sign of Revelation. These are the things that move the needle for Jethro and made him join the Jewish people. What is so special about these three themes in particular? So I saw two beautiful pieces on this question. The first comes courtesy of the Maharal. He's a very long and very beautiful piece. And he asks the question, the Talmud here gives three opinions. What did Jethro hear the man come join? Well, what about the plagues in Egypt? Why were they insufficient to make him interested to convert, to come join the Jewish people? Says the Maharal, Jethro was able to, to explain away, so to speak, the miracles of Egypt. The miracles that happened in Egypt are described as the finger of God. It's only a finger. It's not a full hand. They were isolated, discrete miracles that affected only Egypt. And that did not cause a epiphany in Yisro and Jethro. It didn't cause a crisis of faith, if you will, because after all, he was a pagan. And in the pagan worldview, it makes sense that some gods are more powerful than other gods. And maybe there's the god of the Jews who wants to avenge the god of the Egyptians. And that does not prove that there's only one power that reigns above all that has total dominion over all. And therefore, it was insufficient to dispel Jethro's pagan precepts. The plagues in Egypt didn't do it for him. But what happened with the splitting of the sea? The splitting of the sea, we're told in the Talmud, it wasn't just the waters at the Sea of Reeds that split. It was all the waters in the world, and they all split. And that showed that whatever is this force powering the Jewish people's exodus from Egypt, it had control over all the water in the world. And then there was the war with Amalek. And that was also a general triumph, not just an isolated miracle because, and again, he quotes the Talmud. The Talmud says, this is actually quoted by Rashi in Lashvitz Parsha, that during the war with the Amalek, the sun froze in place. The sun, the one sun that covers the entire world, it stopped and it didn't move. And that, to Jethro, was earth-shattering because there's only one sun for all of humanity. And if there is some force that controls the sun, That is a general miracle, not a specific miracle. And that got Yeshua's attention. And why do you need both? Why do you need the splitting of the sea and the war with Amalek? Because the splitting of the sea only proved the Almighty's dominion over the lower spheres. The war with Amalek that happened, so to speak, in the heavens, the sun, so to speak, the constellations, that sphere, that was not proven with the splitting of the sea. And therefore, you have the splitting of the sea— Plus, the war with Amalek, and that proved that not only did the Almighty have dominion over the lower spheres, he also controlled, or controls, the upper spheres, and therefore Yisra was convinced. And finally, there was the revelation at Sinai. Because with the splitting of the sea and the war with Amalek, Yisra only discovered that God is in control of the lower spheres and the upper spheres. But what about the sphere above the upper spheres? What about the thing that is above the heavens? Well, maybe God's not in control of that. And then what happens at Sinai? The Torah that comes from above the heavens, above the sun, the third world, in the words of the Maharal. The Almighty is in control of even that dimension? God, indeed, is above all. And then he adds that we say Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Three times we say the mighty is holy. To indicate there's three spheres. There's the lower sphere. And then there's the upper sphere. And then there's the super-duper upper sphere, even above the upper sphere. And with these three miracles, sea, War with Revelation at Sinai, it proved to Yisra the skeptic, to Jethro the skeptic, that God indeed is in control of everything. Initially, He didn't believe in God, but then these miracles addressed all his questions. He witnessed the splitting of the sea, or he heard about it. All the water in the world, it's all split. God has dominion over all. In the lower spheres, in the upper spheres, even the spheres above the heavens, indeed, it was a complete education of Jethro. He was convinced. That's the opinion of the Maharal. The Ben Yehoyada has a different take as to why these three miracles in particular, splitting the sea war with Amalek and Revelation at Sinai, why were they the things that clinched it for Jethro? This I found very interesting. He starts off with a question, the Ben Yehoyada does. He says, wait a minute. The verse tells us what Jethro heard. This is the first verse of our parasha. Vayushma Yisro, Yisro, the coin of Midian, the priest of Midian, the father of Moshe. He heard all that the Almighty did to Moshe and to the Israelites at the Exodus. So why does the Talmud ask the question, well, what did Yisro hear? What do you mean, what did Yisro hear? The verse tells us explicitly what Yisro, what Jethro heard. So he explains the Talmud as follows. Of course, Yisro heard a lot of things. He heard about the Exodus. He heard about the miracles. But the question of the Talmud is not just what he heard. The question is what he heard that prompted him to convert. And he explains. To convert, you have to be accepted by the Jewish nation. And why was Jethro not worried that he was going to be rejected? And there's, in fact, a precedent for that. Talmud says in the times of Mashiach, times of Messiah, the Jewish people are not going to accept any more converts. So maybe Jethro should have said, wait a minute, the Jewish people, they're on a pretty high level right now. They're not going to accept me. So the question of the Talmud is not what he heard that inspired him to believe. The question is what gave him confidence that he will be accepted. And the Talmud gives us three answers. The first answer is that he heard about the war of Amalek. You may remember we spoke about the origins of Amalek. Amalek came from a woman named Timnah. Timnah wanted to convert and join the Jewish people. And she came to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and they all rejected her. And she went instead to Eliphaz, the son of Esav. And that created this enmity that Amalek has to the Jewish people. And therefore, when Yisro, he hears about the war with Amalek, he says, there's no way the Jewish people are going to reject me because they rejected Amalek, and look how bad that ended up for them. Amalek is so angry about it. They're so seething about being rejected by the Jewish people that they actually launched the war. And therefore, the Jewish people will take the lesson of the war with Amalek to say, let's not reject genuine, sincere converts. And therefore, when Yisra heard about the war with Amalek, he said, okay, now I'm confident that they won't reject me. That's the first opinion. The second opinion is that he heard about the revelation at Sinai. And he reasoned, wait a minute, the reverberating voice of God went through the entire world. All the kings heard it, and they went to Bilaam to try to explain what they heard. Clearly, the Almighty is sending a message, not just to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. And therefore, reasoned Yisro, if the Almighty made me aware of Revelation at Sinai, it must be for a reason. He must want me to come join the Jewish people. And finally, the third opinion is, he heard about the splitting of the sea, and the Talmud tells us that at the splitting of the sea, even a Canaanite maid, a Canaanite slave woman, was able to witness prophecy that the great prophet Ezekiel did not merit. And therefore reasoned Yisro, hey, if the Canaanite nation, the only nation that's cursed explicitly in the Torah, if they can experience prophecy at the Jewish, together with the Jewish people at, in their current state, I too will be accepted. The opportunities are open for all. So these three specific miracles weren't about just impressing upon Jethro to accept faith. Rather, it assured him that he will be accepted in the event that he does come join the Jewish people and that convinced him to come join. Now, we are trained when we try to process aggadic teachings, the Talmud, that the interpretations are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but it could be cumulative. So I think the way to process all these Ideas, these pieces from the Maharal and the Ben Yehoyada is to actually combine them together and say that Vayishma Yisro, the first two words of our Parsha, Jethro heard, he heard everything. He heard that God controlled the Egyptians and God controlled the whole world and he split the sea and all the waters. He stopped the sun. The whole world's single sun was in control of the Almighty. He heard about the Almighty's entire dominion over this world, over the heavenly sphere, over the lower spheres, and even over the world that's above the heavenly spheres. And he also knew that he would be accepted if he came to join. The Jews learned their lesson with the war with Amalek not to reject genuine converts. He knew that God revealed to him the revelation in order that he does something with that information. And finally, he realized that even the Canaanites are getting a piece of the action They saw at the sea what even Ezekiel didn't see, and therefore certainly Jethro had a chance. Va'yishma Yisro, Yisro heard and processed all of that, and indeed he made the trek. And here's the question: He goes to Moshe with Zipporah, his daughter, Moshe's wife, and the two kids, and Moshe greets him, and Moshe regales him with the stories of the Exodus, and Jethro celebrates. And finally, we read verse ten and eleven. Jethro makes a declaration. Vayomer Yisro, and Yisro said, Jethro said, Baruch Hashem, blessed is Hashem who saved you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of Pharaoh. He saved this entire nation. Atoyadati. Now I know that God is greater than all the other pagan gods. Now Jethro knows. Rashi tells us Jethro had worshipped all the gods, and now he knows, now he has come to the truth. But here's the question. Now Jethro knows? Now that Jethro is together with Moshe in the Israelite camp, now he knows? He knew this beforehand. The reason why Jethro left his hometown and came to go join the Jewish people was because he knew that the Almighty exists and the Almighty has all the power. He heard Vayishma Yisro. He learned all the implications of that. He heard about the splitting of the sea and the war with Amalek and the revelation at Sinai. He learned all of that and everything that they portend. And that's why he came. But the verse says quite clearly that Jethro made an announcement. Atayadati, now I know. And that sounds like only now I know. I didn't know Earlier, what is Jethro's epiphany that he discovers only once he arrives in the Israelite camp? There was something that he did not know earlier, notwithstanding all that he heard and all that he learned, the comprehensive lessons of Vayishma Yisro, Yisro heard. There was something that he didn't know that was only clinched now. What did Yisro learn in the camp that he didn't know Previously. So if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi sidesteps this question. Now I know, says Rashi, I already knew earlier, but now I know even more. So Rashi softens the problem by saying, well, of course, Jethro knew, but he knows even more now. I want to suggest another explanation for Jethro's epiphany that happens to him in the camp. I think this approach... Perhaps contains the secret of how Jethro changed. And as always, we'll try to lay out the structure of the idea, and then fill in the details. Parsha starts off, VaYishma Yisro. Yisro heard. He learned all about the exodus. He heard about the splitting of the sea and the war with Amalek and the Sinai revelation. And he understood what that meant and he processed the implications. And he knew that there's only one God who controls everything, the fire, the water, the good, the bad, what's around us, what's above us, the heavenly spheres, even what's above that. His lifelong quest for truth has been satisfied. He knows the truth. And he's also convinced that he's going to be accepted. He's going to be welcomed. And he makes the trek. With his daughter, Zipporah, and his two grandsons, but his spiritual journey, his journey of faith, is still not complete. What he discovered intellectually is wonderful, is fantastic, but it's not done. He knows that God is in control. But he's not quite at the point that he can make the declaration. Now I know. He doesn't really know it quite yet. Perhaps we can say he heard all about these miracles, but he has to go see it for himself. Perhaps his faith is secure intellectually, but that's not enough. It's not quite there emotionally. And everything that happens to him from the moment he arrives in the Israelite camp Until he makes that declaration, now I know, now I know, all of those events are there to help him bridge the gap between what he hears and what he truly knows to be true, between, perhaps we could say, the theoretical faith and the real faith, the intellectual and the emotional. Jethro's journey was comprehensive. He heard and he came. But only once he was among the Israelites did he make the declaration. Only then was it complete. That's the structure of the idea I want to share with you today. Let's fill in the details. I think that studying the transformation of Jethro is particularly important for people who are in the business of trying to influence other people. If you are in sales of any type, and of course who isn't, you have to examine how Jethro was sold on God. And certainly for those who are in the business of trying to encourage our fellow Jewish brethren to come back to Torah, that is not an easy journey for a person to undertake, and it's good to see exactly how Jethro did it. I remember back in the day when I was in the yeshiva, in the kolel, in Esha Torah in Jerusalem, So Aish at that time was a unique institution. It had a cadre of students who had grown up observant and were becoming rabbis on one hand, but it was also an institution that had had many students who did not grow up observant, did not grow up with much knowledge of Torah and Judaism, and they were both under the same roof in the same institution. So I once did a survey amongst some of the students that had not grown up observant and I was trying to figure out what inspired these people to change their life. And I remember, one of the people I spoke to said to me, he said, I'm not like everyone else. When I discovered that Torah was true, I said, I'm going to do it all. He was the exception. I think we perhaps think That if we can prove conclusively that the Torah is true, the veracity of Torah to all our Jewish brethren, if we could just do that, everyone is going to be clamoring to learn how to fully observe Shabbos, how to pray, how to don tefillin, how to maintain a fully Torah-observant life. But I think that's a mistake. Maybe there are individuals who are like that, but those are the exception. Faith. Faith a relationship with Torah, a relationship with God, love, love of God, these are themes that are not produced on a spreadsheet. Cold proofs of Torah, of God, don't change a person. It didn't change Yisro. It didn't change Jethro. It did something. It got his attention. His interest was piqued. He became God-curious when he hear about these miracles, splitting the sea, war with Amalek, Revelation at Sinai. It ticked off the intellectual boxes. It opened up the conversation, but it wasn't a done deal at all. He also needed to be assured that he won't be rejected. Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to be ostracized or to feel out of place or to be in an uncomfortable situation, were there the odd men out? Even if Jethro could prove that God was true, real, he would not have made the trip to test drive, so to speak, religion, or at least the version that the Israelites were practicing, until he was positive that he would be welcomed. So there were two prerequisites for him even undertaking this journey. Number one, he had to have the intellectual faith in the security and stability of this idea of one God. He had to hear about the Exodus and the splitting of the sea and God's control over the lower spheres and the upper spheres and the super upper spheres. He had to have that first. But he also had to know that the Jewish people won't reject him. They won't reject him like they rejected a Amalek. And even the Canaanites were welcomed or accepted, so he will be too. So now he has both of them. He's armed with the intellectual faith. And he also has the comfort and the knowledge that he won't be rejected. Vayish Maestro, Yisro he heard, and he came. It's not done yet, but he's willing to listen. He's willing to take it for a spin, take it for a test drive. And what happens? There are three verses, verse 7, 8, and 9, that describe how Jethro's faith and commitment to God were clinched. I think these verses, we have to read them very carefully, of course, with Rashi's commentary, to learn how to treat someone who is in Jethro's shoes. They're interested, they're comfortable, they want to hear what we have to say, but they're not quite there yet. So the first verse tells us that Moshe went out to greet Jethro. And he bowed down before him and he kissed him and they started chatting and asking how each other are doing. And Rashi tells us that when Moshe went out, it wasn't just Moshe. Because once Moshe goes out to greet Jethro, Aaron says, I'm going to come with him. And Nadav and Avihu, the two sons of Aaron, they said, well, we're going to come join as well. And who sees these four titans? Moses, Aaron, Nadavidu. Who sees them going out and they don't go out? So the entire throngs of the Jewish nation, millions of people came to greet Jethro. He was accorded great honor. He was treated like a celebrity. Why? Why was he treated like a celebrity? Because he was one. He is a hero. He's someone who's willing to listen. He's someone who's willing to change his life based upon what he's discovered. Everyone else, the whole nation, they've been grandfathered in. They're part of this family, part of this tribe. But Jethro was almost a little bit like Abraham in that he was brave enough to change himself and his beliefs on his own, and he's worthy of that great honor. Number one. And what does Moshe do? He bows before him, he gives him honor, and he kisses him. Moshe is treating him with unbridled warmth and love and respect. He greets him. He shows interest in him. He asks him about his trip. He shows him that he cares about him. And the next verse, Moshe starts telling him stories about what happened. And Rashi tells us why was Moshe telling him stories? Lim shoches libo Torah. He wanted to draw his heart to bring him close to Torah. His intellect was ready on board. Moshe set to work on tugging Jethro's heartstrings, telling him the stories, making what he had heard from a distance making it vivid to him to get, so to speak, his heart on board. And what happened? Jethro was amenable to the message. The third verse, Vayichad Yisro. What does Vayichad mean? Rashi brings two interpretations. The first interpretation is that Jethro was very happy. He was delighted. The second opinion is almost the opposite. He was very sad and he got goosebumps due to the downfall of Egypt. And the answer is that both of them are true. On one hand, he was delighted. He was joyous. He achieved emotional ecstasy that affirmed and sealed what he already knew cognitively. But he was also sad because on one hand, he was happy that he now found truth and he's joining this movement. But his change was not without trade-offs. He, like Abraham and Moses and really every person who makes any dramatic change in their life that came before or since Jethro, you have to forfeit something of your previous identity in order to adopt a new one. And finally, after Jethro has gone through all this transformation, both before he arrived at the Israelite camp and now in the Israelite camp, his journey reaches its destination. And he declares, now I know that God is greater than all the other gods, lowercase g. And he immediately is mobilized into contributing to the cause. He provides valuable advice to Moses and he heads back to his land to bring the rest of his family on board. Jethro undergoes a comprehensive change that sees him being transformed from a kanyashenti of idolatry into one of the heroes of our people. And here we see every step of the way. Perhaps if we were engineers, we may say, hey, it's really easy to facilitate the transformation. We tell Jethro, hey, you thought X. I can disprove X and prove Y without a doubt. Okay. Now, for sure, you're going to change your life completely. But Jethro shows us that's not exactly how it works. Cold, intellectual reason does not yet equal knowledge. Making sense of something is not enough. Spreadsheets don't spark love. The intellectual precepts are only as strong as the emotional and social comfort that ground them. Vayish Maestro Jethro heard. And he heard a lot. Splitting of the Sea, Revelation at signed in war with Amalek. And he was an expert in theology. And he understood that he had found the true power. Jethro heard, and his brain was on board. But his heart needed to be brought along as well. He first needed to know for sure that he is going to be welcomed. And with that, he made this scary journey. And when he came, he was warmly greeted by all. And Moshe asked him about his journey, and Moshe was interested in him and his well-being, and he regaled him with stories to draw his heart. And Jethro was gladdened. He was moved emotionally. And only then did he truly know. Jethro's storyline, I think, shows us the anatomy of change. It's multifaceted and multi-pronged. Intellect alone is not enough. You need social acceptance, and an emotional connection as well. But once you have those three, that is indeed a magical combination. If someone is grounded with, A, the intellectual rigor of the veracity of God and of Torah, and they feel like they're going to be accepted socially, and they also develop an emotional connection with these ideas, that indeed is the trifecta that can result in a declaration now. Now, and only now, do I know that this is true. Okay, let us get to this week's A and Q answers and questions. And the question we want to ask this week is from, again, the beginning of the parasha, verse 12, it tells us, That Jethro, the father-in-law of Moshe, he took animals and brought sacrifices, an elevation sacrifice, a peace offering sacrifice to God. And Aaron and all the elders, they came to eat bread with the father-in-law of Moshe before the Almighty. This is, if I'm not mistaken, the first sacrifices featured in the Torah since Jacob offered sacrifices before the descent to Egypt in chapter 46 of Genesis. And of course, that depends on how you want to classify the pastoral offering that we read a couple of weeks ago. But certainly, this is the first sacrifices offered since the Exodus. And there's a question over here, I think. Why are... Jethro's sacrifices, why are they so salient, so important to Tornis to tell us about them? Why is he doing this? But not only why are they important, why is he the first one that we're hearing about to offer sacrifices? Why didn't Moshe or Aaron or any of the other Jews offer sacrifices? And only Jethro, after he comes, does he offer a sacrifice? So that's the question. Why does the Torah tell us? What's so important? What's so special about Jethro's sacrifices? And why is he the first one to offer sacrifices? Now, last week, I feel like I did a disservice to the audience by my question. We asked the question that in Mara before they arrived at Sinai, they got a down payment, a deposit on some of the mitzvahs of the Torah. They got three or perhaps four mitzvahs, the mitzvah of Shabbos and the red heifer, and laws, and perhaps also honoring your parents. The question was, why specifically these mitzvot? So now, I told y'all that I had spoken about it in a recent episode, but I wasn't going to reveal to you which episode that was. I feel like I should have just asked the question and not confuse the audience, so I apologize for that. Now, I spoke about it on Parsha's MR, and the episode was titled The Addiction Challenge, And that was something that we spoke about in May of 2020. And we quoted the Maharal. The Maharal says something fascinating. He says they came to Marah and they went three days without water. And the Talmud tells us that water is a euphemism for Torah. They went three days without Torah. And therefore the Almighty gave them three mitzvos to study. Now, simply put, you would say, these mitzvos were there for us to observe, but that's not what it says over here. It says we got three mitzvos to study. So what the morale explains is the Jewish people are on the doorstep of Sinai, we left Egypt and we're heading towards Sinai to get the whole Torah, but that demands preparation. We can't get to Sinai not be ready for it. We need to be prepared. And therefore the may give us mitzvos not so we could observe them per se, but rather so we can study the Torah that is related to that particular mitzvah in order that we can get in the right frame of mind to accept the entirety of Torah at Sinai. And it explains to the Maharal that every person is different. Every person has different themes that interest them. And therefore the Almighty gave a different kind of mitzvah for every kind of person. These three mitzvahs, they each are totally different in how you study them. You have Shabbos. Shabbos has a preponderance of laws. There's so many numerous laws. And there's some people that just want to learn a lot, a lot of laws. And then you have the red heifer. And it's only one law. But the deeper you go, the deeper you discover that it actually is. And you actually never arrive at the bottom. You never arrive at the conclusion and that fascinates certain kinds of people. And finally, you have laws, i.e. the general interpersonal laws, that with a slight difference, you actually can change the result and they're very fine, very nuanced laws. And there is a third class of people that really like that kind of study and therefore everyone was given something to study in preparation for Sinai. Very interesting idea to explain what's happening here in Mara. In Mara, it's not about getting mitzvahs to observe them. It's getting mitzvahs to occupy ourselves with Torah before Sinai. And these are three different kinds of study, so that way every kind of person has the ability to connect to Torah in a way that resonates with them. I thank you all for listening. Have an amazing week. Have a fabulous Shabbos. I look forward to speaking to you next week, please God. My email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com.